Welcome to Star Trek and the Jews, the monthly podcast that uses Star Trek to boldly explore the worlds of Jews and Judaism. Today's going to be a little bit different. Chava and I had something really special planned, but due to a death in the family, she was unable to record. To all those mourning, we say, Hamakom yenachem edchem betoch sha'ar avalei tzion v'yerushalayim. May the Eternal console you among the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. So today's going to be a shorter episode. We have a wonderful Rebel Alert interview with Tema Smith that I'm really excited to share with you all. And uh, after that, I'll just give a few ideas. Star Trek and the Jews is fundamentally about a conversation, and today it's just me. So uh, instead of hearing me rant on and on, I'll just leave you with a few ideas to think about. So the Hebrew School homework today was the original series Let That Be Your Last Battlefield and Deep Space Nine Far Beyond the Stars. Listeners familiar with those episodes uh, will have deduced that this is a show about race. And I, a a white Jewish guy from Canada, am not really the right person to talk to you all about race and Star Trek. So I want to start by making some referrals. First of all, please, please check out Black Alert. It's a fantastic new podcast that's all about black perspectives on Star Trek. If you like our show, I think there is a very, very high probability that you'll like theirs too. Uh, Definitely check it out. Two other places that I think are great sources for really interesting, entertaining, and thought-provoking black perspectives on Star Trek are Women at Warp, especially the more recent episodes. Uh, Women at Warp is a feminist intersectional Star Trek podcast, and the I Quit Star Trek podcast, which is kind of hard to describe, but just check them out. So without further ado, here's Rebel Alert. Delay that order, number one. Red alert. Tema Smith is a diversity advocate, writer, and Jewish community builder. She's currently the Director of Professional Development at 18 Doors, an organization that empowers people in interfaith relationships to engage in Jewish life. Tema is a contributing columnist at The Forward and previously worked as the Director of Community Engagement at Holy Blossom, where Chava goes to shul. And I'm not exactly sure how this works, but I think that she's technically in charge of Jewish Twitter. Uh, so <laughs> welcome to Star Trek and the Jews, Tema. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome, Tema. Uh, Josh and I both kind of know you, but I mean, like, as in we follow you on Twitter. <laughs> but I was hoping you could tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, sure. What can I even say? I am a Toronto kid, born and raised. My mom is from Toronto. My mom's Jewish. Her mother was born here. Her father was born in Montreal, sort of very Toronto Jewish family. My father is from New York, and he is Black and not Jewish. His family is from the Bahamas um, originally, but my dad was born in New York. My parents met uh, in New York in the late 70s, and moved back here to start a family and um, my brother and I came along uh, through the 80s and we grew up downtown uh, in Toronto, sort of a mixed race Jewish family doing various kinds of things. My grandparents were a huge part of my life and just yeah and basically it was the experience of being sort of part of a Jewish community, but also not um, that I that I sort of lived with my whole life mm-hmm. that drove me to do the work that I do now, um, which is a lot of it is about carving out or trying to create and carve out space for people who are coming from similar backgrounds to me mm-hmm. um, who want to be in our community, but might not know 
how or might have been pushed out or whatever it might look like for them. Mm-hmm. We also always ask all our guests this, what kind of Star Trek exposure have you had or what's your Star Trek experience? Pretty minimal. Um, I'm not going to lie. I've probably seen an episode here and there. And of course, because of the, my tiny dog, I have watched the Tribbles uh, clip <laughs> many times now that I have my own Tribble, but I am not. Uh, I am not well versed in the Star Trek, the Star Trek averse. So I'm pretty excited to for this as like a total Star Trek noob. <laughs> well, welcome. <laughs> a few months back, you were my teacher in a class on Jews and the struggle for racial equality, and it was a wonderful class. Um, you're one of quite a few Lishma teachers we've had on the show now. I was looking back through my notes and I wrote down something that I don't know if you sent it to us or maybe you were quoting someone and I apologize if I have the wording a little off, but uh, I wrote down from you, uh, I'm not Jewish in one space and black in another. I show up as my full self. So tell us what that means to you and what it means to show up as, as your full self, especially in Jewish spaces. Sure. Um, so I don't remember who that uh, quote is attributed to, but I, I didn't, I use similar language, but I think that one is somebody else. And I just don't remember who off the top of my head. But I think for a lot of us who are Jewish and another racial or ethnic identity, really, when we talk about showing up as our full selves, I think there's a lot of an expectation that when you show up in Jewish spaces, like a false expectation, I should say, um, that when you show up in Jewish spaces, that your Jewish identity is your identity. And like any other identities that you might have are secondary. For people who have other racial or ethnic backgrounds, we walk through the world with an integrated identity. We don't pick and choose which we are when we walk into a space. I mean, I think it's as absurd to sort of ask people to choose one or another as it would be to say to like a Jewish woman in this space, you're Jewish, uh, that you're a woman does not matter. Right. And I think a lot of people don't understand how deep that sort of kind of racial identity goes, that it is very synonymous with who a person is. And so like I can, sure, I can sort of say in this moment, I am doing something Jewish, um, but I'm always doing it as me. And my experience of being Jewish is that of being a mixed race woman with a father who isn't Jewish. All of that is part of my experience of being Jewish. So showing up for, and I know I don't speak for only myself when I say this, I think this is a really common experience among Jews of color is when we show up, like we are showing up with the totality of ourselves. Um, We are showing up, yes, maybe we're coming to do a Jewish thing, um, but we are very much doing it in the entirety of our identity and don't want to sort of be asked, um, you know, which identity are you showing up with right now? Or, um, you know, on the sort of negative side, sometimes we will hear things like, oh, like, why do you want to talk about race or racism in this space? This is your Jewish space. Like, this is your Jewish communal space. And it's like, well, sure, um, I get that this is my Jewish communal space. But at the same time, like, I'm still experiencing racism 
inside our spaces and outside and that still colors my experience wherever I am and so just really pushing people to recognize and understand that those experiences come with me into Jewish space they don't like stop at the door I can't just turn them off right yeah as a Jewish person of Eastern European descent like I'm talking about myself there's like no doubt and it's quite obvious that I benefit so much from uh, having white skin and that's that's a huge privilege but there's also a long history of being the other in white circles as a jewish person mm-hmm. um and so it's like it's a little bit confusing i would say like uh, racial identity in general is something i don't totally know how to think about or feel about and like i've often heard people in my community say something like i'm not white i'm jewish but i also think that that really erases the white privilege that I and other white Jews so obviously benefit from. So can you talk to us a little bit about Jews and racial identity and Jews and whiteness? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a really complicated topic because, yes, I think that you're touching on something really accurate, which is this feeling, I think, for a lot of Jews. And, you know, my mom is an uh, Eastern European Jew, um, and I grew up very much that we, her side of the family weren't white, they were Jewish. Um, And I think one of the things that makes it really interesting and complicated is that whiteness changes, right? Like race is not Mm. something fixed. Um, And there's, you know, the legal definitions of where did the Jews fit in for immigration and things like that in in the US. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence there that Jews were always considered probably like a lesser form of white, but still white, whereas other ethnic groups were not. But like also Italians and Irish people were considered a lesser form of white, um, sort of under the same kind of ways of defining ethnicity. And so I think it is really complicated because on the one hand, like, why would anyone want to identify with a culture that has oppressed them? And sort of I think where the discourse around Jews and race has really gotten really hard for people is around that is that Jews are still a minority there still is anti-semitism we still live in a Christian hegemony and at the same time Jews were allowed to take part in a lot of things that were afforded to white people and so there is this huge, or white Jews, I should say. Um, And so there's this huge tension. And I think that tension isn't going anywhere. And at the same time, it is really hard in spaces when there are people who are you know, racialized in different ways, whether it's somebody like Black Jews or Asian Jews or whatever, like people who are very definitively racialized in our societies to hear Jews who do have white privilege, do you have the advantage of walking through the world, generally speaking, being perceived as some kind of white, to hear people say, no, no, you're not white, we're not white, we're not white, when the experience of racism that Jews of color experience is a very different thing, and we also always experience anti-Semitism as well. And I feel like I I have a funny relationship to this because I'm white passing, like in the sort of historical definition of what it meant to be a white passing person, which is somebody who is black or somebody, I don't even want to use that language of somebody who is black, but the, the historical definition around passing was that basically it was a blood quantum. The second you had one drop of black blood in your, in your lineage, you were black. And so for people where there were legal restrictions on things like owning property, on voting, on marriage, who you were allowed to legally marry, all of which were basically around uh, property and control. People who looked like me had a choice to make, either not have rights 
or basically disavow their entire past and uh, walk through this world as white. And, you know, I'm very conscious of that. I'm very conscious of that as a reality of um, my racial identity. And so it's always very hard for me as somebody who does pass as white and does benefit from a lot of, you know, white privilege type things. Like I don't walk into Jewish spaces and have people ask me what I'm doing there as an example. It's always very hard for me to listen to Jews who don't want to acknowledge sort of access to whiteness, if you want to talk about it like that, when like even I can as somebody who is Jewish and mixed race Black, like, and it's always very hard to sort of Mm. listen to. Mm -hmm. And I think that the struggle really is exactly that of like, why would we ever want to identify with the people who have been anti-Semites? and who continue to sort of make certain things, I mean, Jews are still a minority. At the same time, I think it's a lack of an understanding of what race is, and it sort of is clinging to something really fixed where race is a social construct and it changes all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. We watched uh, one of my absolute favorite episodes of Star Trek. It's an episode of Deep Space Nine called Far Beyond the Stars. Our hero, the protagonist of the show, who's black and a Starfleet captain living in a post-racial utopian 24th century, is through the magic of Star Trek, uh, transformed into a 1950s black science fiction writer uh, living in New York. And he's confronted with, with racism that is very familiar to the TV audience, but very unfamiliar to him, and with the reality progressively of employment discrimination, unequal access to healthcare, segregation, police brutality, and ultimately an extrajudicial police killing. And it's it's a very powerful episode that uh, the actor who played the protagonist also directed, uh, series lead Avery Brooks, who himself is a a scholar of African-American studies. It is a topic that really has never stopped being relevant here in North America, but feels especially of the moment right now. Mm -hmm. You wrote a a series of really powerful articles, one after the killing of George Floyd, and one most recently after the conviction of the police officer who murdered him. I was hoping you could talk to us a little bit about the activism and writing that you've done around racial equality and how your Jewish values and Jewish identity might connect to that. I'm really privileged to have been given the opportunity to be a columnist in a historic Jewish newspaper and it is just such an honor to be on that masthead. So I write for the forward as a col- as an opinion columnist. Actually, I will say both times, uh, both both pieces that I wrote around George Floyd's death were really actually emotionally hard for me to, to get out. The first one, I don't remember how long it was after the murder, um, but it, it took a while to get to a place where I felt like I could write about it. And, you know, my editor was like haranguing me like, we need your voice, we need your voice. And, and I was procrastinating and then eventually what came out actually at that time so by that point um the murder you know already had sort of receded into the background of the news cycle and what we were seeing mostly were the black lives matter protests but those really stark images of cities just on fire from the rioting that was going on uh the the resistance and um, you know, the the sort of image of the police precinct on fire and all of that was very etched in. And 
a lot of people at that time were like, oh, this doesn't do anything, blah, blah, blah. And the more that I thought about it, I kept just coming back to how common this has this sort of sequence of events has been in American history and in in recent American history specifically of uh, the police beat up or kill a black man and the response is protests that turn to riot so you know obviously like Rodney King we think of um, but there's also like the Watts riots in I guess it was the late 60s and as I was writing sort of the the refrain that kind of kept coming back to my head that actually ended up leading off this paper uh, or this article rather was this idea of the talk right the talk that black parents give their kids about how to not get in trouble with the police um, just for like being you and how it kind of what kept coming back to me at that time was this idea this feeling that like this feeling of realization that actually for most of my Jewish peers like they didn't have the talk and you know we did in our in our house and it was twofold it was teaching my brother what he could and couldn't realistically do um, and teaching me as the like white-skinned older sister how to recognize what was going on and look out for my brother. And it was a really hard moment for me to realize that because I spend most of my life in Jewish community. Um, That's where I work. Um, It's a lot of my social life. Um, It's where I spend my social media time. And it was that moment where everyone was experiencing, you know, my sort of very activist-y Jewish friends were all experiencing rage, pain, all sorts of things um, about the murder um, and about the protests. But I just kept, no matter how much we talked about it, I just kept feeling like profoundly lonely with it. And it was this moment of realization that that feeling of loneliness really was about the fact that that is not an experience of having to sort of be scared of what it means to be out in the world and what the consequences might be that I shared with my Jewish friends. And that was kind of what started that piece. I think a thread that the the piece that I just wrote recently after the verdict, again, was like my editor being like, we need you to write something. And the focus there was really that, you know, here everyone's saying, oh, justice has been served. And I'm like, well, how is this justice? If this is justice, George Floyd wouldn't be dead. We had to watch this man get murdered on television, like on camera, and the verdict still wasn't a foregone conclusion. And I think I realized when I think even to other pieces that I've written for the forward that I think a lot of the thread that runs through my writing and how I see my role in Jewish space around this issue is that here are the things that are making us feel really lonely because we experience this differently. We experience the extrajudicial killing of Black men very differently, where it's visceral in a different way. We experience those protests viscerally and are looking at, you know, people are like, oh, I'm hopeful things are going to change. And I think that there was a lot of pessimism among my Black Jewish friends about things changing. And just that recognition that this is something that I don't think people really understand the depth of is how hard it is to watch this and how hard it is to be sort of in Jewish space 
um, with everyone being like, yay, change is coming and feeling also at the same time feeling like everyone's talking about you when you're in the room. Mm-hmm. And so having that moment to really put words to paper on it has been really therapeutic for me. And I think for me, it really deeply ties to, I don't know if I want to like necessarily characterize it as a specific Jewish value. There's enough sort of catchphrases that I can use. For me, it's about the Jewish community I want to live in, um, which is a Jewish community that does uh, take those sort of Jewish values catchphrases seriously. Um, so whether it's like B'Tselem Elohim created the image of God, or whether it's, you know, Tzedek, 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 uh, Justice, Justice Shall You Pursue, there are so many, and those are, I would say, like the most off-sighted. I think there's tons more in there um, that we can experience uh, or that we can sort of hold up as a way to experience our spaces and a a vision of what we want to achieve. And so for me, that's really kept me going is like, what does a space that I feel less lonely in look like? And what does it look like to use the opportunity I've been given to bring people into that sort of emotional world but also in a very grounded way of like I always write with a lot of sources it's like the lapsed academic in me I try and bring people along on my research journey as much as I can when I'm writing and so helping people make sense especially when I wrote I did write a piece about passing like I was talking about earlier helping people make sense of why understanding really the history of a category like passing, you'll, you would understand pretty quickly how Jews are not white passing. And so trying to share those pieces that help us not only understand who we are as Jews, but also help us understand Jews of color and racialized Jews and the experiences that they might be having that they can't necessarily share. And then how all of that connects more broadly to whatever social justice causes we are sort of actively pursuing right now and that's really what I try to do with my writing wherever I can it's really emotional like it, it really is I write from a place of like a deeply personal place even when it some of them yeah. are less personal but like all of them have been like deeply personal things to write for me and it really means a lot that people read it and that people spend time to think through what I've said. Yeah, I imagine so. Um, something that you touched on in in your last response was about fully embracing Jews of color and uh, making community spaces um, that are welcoming to them. Lots of our listeners are active in their Jewish communities, whether that's their synagogue or maybe Hillel or some, something else. What advice do you have for our listeners that want to make their community a more inclusive place and to fully embrace Jews of color? There's so many, um, there's so many concrete steps, but I'm going to focus really on what I would call the easy win, important culture change step. Because some of the, I think one of the challenges with this work is that some of it is going to be longer term, right? Like obviously the communities that are the most inclusive are the ones where leadership reflects the diversity of the community. That's a little bit of a longer term project extremely valuable, but longer, longer term. One of the things though, that I think is very realistic for people to look at doing now is a culture shift where it is understood that Jews are not all white, that Jews of color exist, 
and that they can walk into spaces um, and not get asked what they're doing there or not get mistaken for facilities staff and really just um, be able to show up in Jewish spaces and participate as a Jew without having to feel defensive. And that it's simultaneously tiny and huge. It's tiny because it really is something that we should all just believe and be doing. It's huge because it is a seismic shift in the way that we perceive our Jewish community space. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me is the biggest thing that every single person that cares about this can do because we're, we're better when we all are doing this. It's not something that one person can do alone. Tema, it's been just wonderful to have you on the show today. Where can people connect with you or learn more about the work that you do? I am probably the most vocal on Twitter and I just tweet under my name, Tema Smith. The other place you can sort of see all of my writing and a handful of my speaking engagements and things like that. Um, and also connect with me directly is my website, which is www.temasmith.com. Tema, thanks so much for joining us at Star Trek and the Jews. This was great. Now I want to go and watch that episode of Star Trek. <laughs> you should. It's a really good one. <laughs> yeah. It is. And and thank you for the work that you do. I, I just think you're an incredible voice in our in our community and we're we're lucky to have you. <laughs> I am so glad to be able to do this work. I feel like it's not very often that you get to sort of pause and appreciate that you're able to do work that you really not just care about but are like deeply passionate about and for like a vision of the future mm -hmm. and I've been trying to as much as I can really take stock of how amazing it is to be able to do that and I am grateful for the opportunities like this to talk about that work and to be with people who are working towards the same shared vision. Hi, this is Tia from the Black Alert podcast, your melanated reference for all things Star Trek across all four quadrants. Tune in bi-weekly as we debate race and representation, empire, if Worf is a trifling baby daddy, and even interview cast and crew. Check us out on Twitter at Black Alert Pod and follow the bridge crew as we continue to love on this franchise. Live long and prosper and just keep on trekking. Welcome back. So let's start with Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. TOS here is laying on the metaphor pretty thick. Two aliens relentlessly pursuing each other for all eternity on the basis of their racial hatred of each other. The creators of this episode pull a neat little trick where both the audience and the Enterprise crew are oblivious to the distinction between Beale and Loki. One is black on the left and white on the right, and the other is black on the right and white on the left. Uh, and because of this, they uh, pursue each other relentlessly with, uh, with hatred. And yet, while this episode might succeed in highlighting the destructive power of Sinat Khinam, baseless hatred, it fails as a critique of the racial politics of North America, which fundamentally is driven by a system of oppression and power. I think this episode is mired in a certain perspective of the 20th century white moderate, perhaps 21st century white moderate, who thinks that this whole race situation would go away if we just ignore it. And it's a perspective that I'm sorry to say I continue to hear in Jewish circles uh, in ways that specifically 
ignore or minimize the lived experience of Jews of color. Race might be a social construct, but that doesn't mean the effects of that construct aren't everywhere in our lives and society. I mean, money is a social construct, so are countries and borders, and for that matter, Judaism. So I think this episode is a is a good start, but something to be improved upon. Far beyond the stars. In 2013, after the unjust acquittal of George Zimmerman, President Obama addressed the world, and I saw something in him watching his words that, that I didn't think I'd seen in him very often, which was anguish. And he lamented that Trayvon Martin could have been his son. He could have been my son is a refrain I've heard many times by others in black communities after Dante Wright and George Floyd and Eric Garner and Tamir Rice and Michael Brown and Elijah McClain and so many more. Far Beyond the Stars confronts this head-on because Jimmy is not Benny Russell's son. They are, of course, masks for the Siscos, Ben and Jake. And Star Trek is saying here that, that yes, in another reality, this could have been Benny Russell's son. In a lot of episodes that we talk about on Star Trek and the Jews, we've got to dig deep to find the Jews, but not in Far Beyond the Stars. A depiction of New York in the 20th century without Jews would be a lie, and this episode is not a lie. The Jews are here, and not just as stock characters, and not just as one type. We see Armin Shimmerman, who normally plays Quark, as Herb Rosoff, a firebrand socialist with a passion for racial equality. Kalmini, normally playing Chief O'Brien, here plays Albert, a curious and perplexing stand-in for the real-life Isaac Asimov. Aaron Eisenberg as the working-class kid selling papers at the newsstand. We even see in this episode, as we've mentioned here before, uh, Haredi background performers. And perhaps I wonder about Mr. Stone, the unseen publisher who is ultimately the tormentor of Benny Russell by deciding to pulp the entire run of the magazine. If Incredible Tales is meant to be a spin on the, the real-life science fiction publication Amazing Stories, then, then perhaps, yes, Mr. Stone is meant to be Jewish as well. I don't know exactly what to make of the preacher, played by Brock Peters, who ordinarily is Joseph Sisko. He quotes Job, Joshua, Tehillim, and Isaiah, as well as Christian scriptures. Certainly, the use of the prophetic voice itself draws a powerful allusion to Martin Luther King. As for Benny Russell himself, uh, he says little of religion. He seems open to what the preacher, a mask for his father, calls the words of the prophets. And yet the kufi we see him in opens at least the possibility that Benny Russell is intended to be Muslim, which would also be a first in Star Trek. In Torah study, Peshat, the literal surface reading of a text, is the first level of analysis. It's the most accessible, but in many cases also the most revealing. I think Far Beyond the Stars is a text where the Peshat reading alone can serve us well. You don't need my analysis here, because this episode on its own is a profound statement on race. I suggest if you haven't done so to go back and watch it. It's powerful, emotional, honest, and deeply relevant. That's all I have today. Your Hebrew school homework for next month is The Next Generation episode The Bonding and Deep Space Nine You're Quarterly Invited. Thank you so much to our guest Tema Smith. Our opening fanfare is arranged by Adam Snyderman. Wishing everyone a wonderful Shavuot. Thank you for listening.
For all we know, at this very moment, somewhere far beyond all those distant stars, Benny Russell is dreaming of us. <laughs>